Welcome to Asbury Pod with Amy Quinn and Joe Walsh. This week, we talked to Beatrice Osterheld, Executive Director at the Community Fairs and Resource Center of Asbury Park. We find out how the CERC is delivering services during quarantine and how the COVID crisis and its related economic difficulties are affecting the community right here in Asbury Park. Welcome, Beatrice. The matters addressed in this podcast represent my own personal views and opinions concerning issues affecting the citizens of Asbury Park in my capacity as the Deputy Mayor of the City of Asbury Park. They do not necessarily represent the official position of the city or the official position of the Asbury Park City Council as a whole. I am developing and implementing this podcast in an effort to keep citizens informed. However, this is not an official City of Asbury Park podcast and does not, and I repeat, does not represent the official position of the city or the governing body. everybody this is amy quinn it's may 12th on asbury pod with my co-host this is joe walsh and we are talking with beatrice from hispanic affairs although it's not hispanic affairs anymore it's the community resource center but i still call it hispanic affairs before we get to before we get to beatrice joe how was your week same as last week. We just uh, This is a very busy time of year for me. So between now and Memorial Day is the busiest uh, um, in terms of students graduating and bringing in new students. So it's, um, <clears throat> again, I'm happy to be busy and have a job in for the time being. So I, um, I gratefully work as long as I can to make things go. So, um, so good news or, you know, Rutgers is we're going ahead and we're graduating students and we're preparing students. We're going to be open in the fall maybe online, but, you know, eventually the world will reopen and students will be wanting, we want them to be, be having made progress towards the degree so they can re-enter the world. So, but um, anyway, so, you know, mine, for the time being, this will be my answer for almost every, uh, to that question, right? So, Amy, uh, your world is more interesting than mine. So, what, what, what happened in municipal affairs this week? Well, we had like a three-hour meeting today on figuring out what to do with the beach and boardwalk that, you know, I think everybody's like yelling and and trying to figure out yes i haven't figured it out yet right so do you do you limit the capacity do you direct people in one direction and not the other how do you limit the capacity because you can't have you can't limit the capacity of the beach to five thousand people and then all five thousand sit on fifth ave um and then all these people who have lockers they they you know need to be able to get a beach badge because why did you buy a locker uh over the last 10 years if you get if you don't get a beach badge um, and then, you know, it's just a lot of dialogues and trying to figure out what other towns are doing and what's working, but nobody's doing anything that's working because none, none of us can figure out what, what at the end of the day is going to work. Um, so we have those discussions with the Office of Emergency Management team to try to figure out. So I say all that to say to our, you know, listeners, it, it's a work in progress. We're trying to figure out how to open up as safely as possible. Um, but none of us have ever, have ever, um, 
discussed this before. We've never even remotely suggested limiting the capacity on the beach for, you know, 20 years. And however long anybody's been in Esbury Park, it's always been like, come to the beach, come to the beach, come to the beach, come to the beach. And now it's like 5,000 of you can come to the beach or whatever, insert a number, 3,000 of you can come to the beach. So that's like... Um, that's, you know, it's just regular discussions and then trying to roll things out in a way that we can observe it and then tune it if it doesn't work, that kind of stuff. N nothing great. Amy, speaking of office emergency management, it, Garrett retired, right? Did I just see that? He did, but he's still doing the OEM stuff for now. Oh, because he got worried that maybe it was our fault that we interviewed him and he's like, that's it, I'm done. No, but this pandemic might have drove him out. Well... Yeah. Well, I think the conversation about the beach is crazy. There's a, I think we all want the beach reopened, but there's a certain percentage of the population that seems not to be understanding, appreciating what's going on. And it's like, open it now. And, 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 and I don't understand that mentality because um, it's just counterproductive and would actually hurt business if it's just, you know, I don't, I don't want to get into that, but it's just <clears throat> the conversation is odd because we kind of both want the same thing at the end of the day. And also ensuring like le in a legal way, and I'm only speaking for me and not the city, ensuring that residents have access to the, you know, what, what you don't want to do is sell two, you know, a thousand beach badges and nobody from Asbury gets them, right? Because people from New York or North Jersey want to come down here or, you know, uh, people can sell them now for more because there's, you know, we've limited the amount that you can get. So <laughs> You know, it's just like a really, it, and you're not allowed to legally, you know, reserve beach badges for locals, right? For people who have an address in Asbury Park, because if you were, clearly we would do that. Um, so anyway, it's like lots of complicated moving parts that we're um, working through, but such a good team of people and everybody picks holes in everybody's plans. And I always think that's so good to do prior to going public because once you go public, the public's picking through your plan anyway. So you might, you, might, you might as well have the plan pick through, you know, days and weeks before it's implemented and you can kind of fix some of the stuff. Having said that, we're going to move on to a, a more interesting topic. Um, and I still keep calling it Hispanic Affairs. When did it change names and why? Um, okay, so I'm Beatrice Osterhill. And I'm the Executive Director of Community Affairs and Resource Center. And I will tell you why it changed the name. Um, I started in 2010, and a year later, I, um, I partnered with Monmouth University, and they were really helping me out to create a website, a Facebook page, and to, to help me out. So one of the things they did was a survey. So the survey came back with a lot of positive, but some negative. The negative part was that why I had the word Hispanic when I service everybody. Hmm. that I was not only servicing the Latino community. So they, they suggested, why don't you change one word in your name from Hispanic to community? You're still going to serve the Hispanic, but also you can add everybody else that you're serving, which we do. We serve the Latino community, the Haitian community, African-American, the Caucasian, we serve everybody. So that was the reason why we changed the name. That's, it was nothing, you know, we give our same federal ID number, everything is the same. And the services, since that moment that I changed the name, I was able to get a lot of more grants that I was not able to get it before. So we, in 10 years, have improved, I mean, start with our budget, like 500%. 
So that was the big difference, believe it or not. It was that word that the first two years wasn't letting me get a lot of grants because people don't want to give funding when you're only servicing one segment of the community. Beatrice, for those of uh, our listeners who are not from Asbury Park, what does the Community Resource Center do? Okay, so we are a nonprofit. What do we do? Our idea is to empower the community. And we have been doing that since 1984, believe it or not. And we do it by providing so many different services. I'm going to list a few just to have an idea. In the education field, we have six uh, English as a second language classes that, um, and we also combine those with civic classes. Right now, we're doing all of them online. We're virtual in every class. We, beside that, we do computer classes. We have a rental assistant program that we help people with the deposit or the first month rent, or even when they're in arrears. What else do we have? We have a lead prevention program in three counties, Monmouth, Ocean, and Atlantic. And what do we do with that? That's a lead remediation program. We do education, but beside that, we assist owners of uh, homes to remediate the house when they're lead positive, and it's totally free. Mitch, I have a question about. I, I had a question about that because that was one of my later questions. I was going through oh. the website, and oh. I love the uh, the lead the lead, lead safe remediation program. Um, so you know, famously, Flint, Michigan has this terrible lead problem with their water pipes. You know, so in New Jersey, uh, when we're, what do you see in the community that people? What kind of lead problems do people run into right here in Monmouth County? Right here in Ashbury Park, let's even yeah. mention Ashbury Park. Yeah, let's be Park. smaller. Let's be, we only care about Ashbury there, there were a lot of There were a lot of houses that were built before 1978. 1978 was the year that they changed that you couldn't put lead in the paint. So even though you paint 20 times over a, a surface that had lead paint, if you click it or if you hammer it, all the lead is going to come out doesn't matter that you do 20 coats of paint. So what we do with remediation is it's, it's really easy. It's just encapsulate those walls and avoid that. The sad part is that when a kid gets poisoned by lead, I mean, it's affect their brain and it's irreversible. The damage is done, it's done forever. So we need to be very careful because all the kids, the little kids put everything in their mouth. And that's something that nobody realized that, but that's it. And we have had this grant for the last three, four years. Before I started here, that's what I did. I did the, the lead prevention in six counties. And now we have it in three counties. And we're being very successful with it. So I think the data on that is so interesting. The, the long-term effects of lead poisoning and <laughs> the concentration of lead poisoning effects and the, you know, the subsequent effects of like lower test scores and long-term effects on economic and educational attainment. Yes, it's, it's really sad. It's very sad. Right. So that's one of the things that we, so beside that, we have a job readiness program. We are a training provider for the state of New Jersey, which then means that we have a grant uh, for Monmouth County, everybody who is in TANF or GA or SNAP, they have to come to our building not right now, but they normally do for four weeks. And our job is to find employment. We also have a pathway grant that is people who have been affected by the open epidemic. They come to us for two weeks and we help them also with soft skills. We are doing that uh, virtual right now also. We also have a Hispanic Women's Center that we help women with 
we pay for education, we pay for training, uh, we help them with any needs that they have. We have, um, we have workshops and groups that we do. We also have a senior grant for Latinos that we have been really, really, it's really a good program because it's bringing resources to seniors uh, that are Latinos that have no idea what's in the community. It could be from insurance, from SNAP, from helping them to make friends. I mean, it's been really very rewarding that we also have an empowerment grant for Latinos too that we, we can put you to study. We just graduated the day before this started, 17 people that we partnered with Brookdale and where they all did the entrepreneur certificate. So they all want to open business. So that's, that's the idea. That's what we do. Um, we have been, we have a big program for domestic violence and family violence that it's right now we're seeing a lot of it. So that's another, we have support groups. We, we help the women's going to court or the family. It doesn't matter if there's a woman or man, but so those are the things that in a nutshell, we have other programs, but those are the main ones that, that we have right now. We also have, I don't know if you know, we have four offices now. Ashbury well, I was just going to say one office on, in Asbury, right? Yeah, we have one in Kingsburg, one in Freehold, and we opened one in Lakewood uh, last November. Oh, wow. <clears throat> and, yeah, so we're growing, which is great. And Beatrice, so normally, though, in, in a non-pandemic world, all of these classes would be taking place physically in person, right? Yes, we have, we have, yes, we have computer classes in the, the student, the parent center in Ashbury. We also have an ESL class there. We have some in our building in Ashbury. We have some in Lakewood. Yes, they're all, uh, there we have one in Freehold and one in Lumber. So yes, in person, but we, it took us about a week to get all these classes online, which I, I was amazing because to be honest, I never did Zoom before. So now I at least know how to do it, but you know, so they're doing it. And then some of my staff use, uh, use something called Google Docs or something like that, that they, the people, they call each other. So they, they, she does the support groups with that. We have support groups for also for, we just started two weeks ago with pregnant women that we're helping them to go through pregnancy and especially in this time. And at the end, everybody's going to get a $50 gift card. So it's exciting. Um, so, so, you know, we have, oh, and we're doing, I forgot one of them. We, we're also doing our Eat Healthy program. We're even doing Zumba classes virtually. How do you oh. keep track of all this? This is an enormous amount of, uh, uh, <laughs> this is a big list. You know. It is, it is. And you know what? I, my thing is, and why did we go virtual right now? I'll tell you why. I was trying to bring the community, especially the Ashbury community, into some type of normality, you know, that, that they would be, you know, doing something. Today we got, we posted actually on Facebook that three people from the ESL classes say, saying thank you, because one of the normalities having the classes you know, that they can see their other um, people that are in the class and they can talk to them. And it's really, you know, I think that that's important for me and for us in the agency. Beatrice, I don't, you know, what I'm observing a little bit, just, um, you know, my son goes to Bradley Elementary and, and does the story time every day. And what was a class of like 15 
is now probably a class of about six to eight. It varies. And, and the reason being many of the kids in his class don't have access to either a laptop or Wi-Fi and, or can't, you know, get online. Are you, are you noticing, are your classes reduced at all? Because classes were reduced, but not, not a lot, believe it or not. They, instead of having 17 or 18, we're having 13, 14, 15. And also some of them are working in different things now. So sometimes they can only go in the class once a week, but not, you know, in the computer classes, we were not planning to do it. And the people ask us, they have, you know, once you teach them, my staff has been very patient teaching them how to get into Zoom or, or go to meeting or whatever the different platforms that they're using. But you have to be, you have to be very specific and help them out what they're actually while they're doing it because if not, they couldn't. Now they all know we didn't do it with a password because it gets more confusing. So they just have to click and go on. So, you know, making it a lot easier for everybody, which is sometimes it's not that easy. I mean, I'm not very technical. So I'll tell you the first time I had to do Zoom, I panicked. I was almost crying. And now I know I can click. I create my own one. So, you know, you, we're learning in this crazy time. So uh, we had Pastor Van Zant on, you know, Pastor Van Zant. Yes. Yeah. And he was talking about a little bit how he has, how he deals with his um, congregation on social media and that he was telling his families that find the youngest person in the house and give, and they'll set up your zoom, you know, they'll figure it out for you. And also <laughs> another interesting take, he was saying that people aren't coming he had a few interesting things to say that I thought about since his podcast, but uh, one of them was that on Sunday, you know, people showed up to mass and dressed up, uh, got there, and that people don't show up and watch the mass live anymore. They, I mean, some people do, but a large majority watch it, but they watch it later in the day. In other words, they sleep late, they get up, they have breakfast, and then at some point they turn on his sermon, but it's not like they show up on time, you know, ready to go at like nine or 10 or whatever a sermon is. So it's like a couple of interesting. Um, I know. I, I, I was talking to Padre Miguel also from um, Holy Trinity and Mount Carmel. And I said to him, wow, I have never in my life watched a mass in, in a, you know, streamline. And I watched him and it was, I'm going to tell you, it was very moving. And I'm, you know, I, I, I thought it was really good. I actually, you know, but it was, I was in my pajamas watching him. So it was like kind of strange, but now, yeah, I, I have to agree with him. It's, it's different. And I think the the minority communities, they like to go to church on Sunday, you know, get dressed up and, and you can't do that anymore. Well, there, I mean, there's a communal aspect to, to church that, you know, um, that was always, you know, growing up in the church myself, like the after, you know, um, after, the celebration, right? So people congregate in the, you know, in the foyer and the, the community room in the parking exactly. lot and they have brunch. So the, you know, I think that's one of the, when I was growing up, we used to see um, in the Catholic tradition, what they would call mass for shut-ins, right? The masses on TV. And there was always like, well, that's for old people who can't get to church. But, <laughs> but now we're all, you know, we're all well, Now we're all old because now we're all doing that. <laughs> right. You know, now we're all shut in right? and, and, and we're showing up in our underwear to, to church. 
And you touched on yeah. one thing that, so I think a couple of things, you know, I want to talk to you about that are going on nationally that, I, that at least I'm a little bit seeing in Asbury Park. And one of them is um, what's going on with domestic violence, which is, if from what I'm reading, and and my office uh, represents people for you know temporary and permanent restraining orders. Um, not we have not thus far in the pandemic. I mean, not what in the sense that we haven't had to, but um, you know, just people super stressed out from either finances or being shut in and just not acting like their best selves. I have to agree with that. We um, we have two workshops on Friday that is a close group and we were doing it before we only had one and now we have two. And one of the reasons why we're doing it is because they really, they really need help. And it's not just domestic violence, it's family violence. We have a grand, a brand new grand actually, uh, we had it last year and now we, we had it again this year, family violence. And it's, what we're trying to do is giving mechanism to learn how to deal with being in very close encounters. Okay, a lot of our families live in very small places. They're all together. They're trying to be teachers for the children and they don't know sometimes the language. So it's not as easy as people think it is. And it, it, it has been, it's very difficult. I mean, just think about yourself. You're in a nice house and you can, go out, you can go to the backyard or to whatever. But if you're in an apartment with two and three kids locked for two months, I, I would go crazy. So that's what would happen. And then, so what we're trying is to teach them how to deal with that. How to, actually, we're thinking of doing a meditation class in that group. So, you know, things give them, give them the tools to, to be able to make it. Because I, I think you, you know, mentioned, have, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. It's just no. good. So, no, no, I think no, you, you hit on something interesting, like the closed quarters of the issue. Like, you know, my, my, my mother is one of, was nine, was one of nine kids with an alcoholic father who would be sometimes abusive when he came home drunk. And the secret to then, you know, if he came home drunk, they would scatter. They could hide. You know, the kids would be like, okay, you guys go outside, come back in a couple hours. Or, and in this situation, you can't, you can't. So, if someone's coming home with an alcohol problem, exactly. and this is the, this is across, but this is across the spectrum, you know. This, this is, is yeah. It doesn't yeah. matter if you're a minority or you're not. And right, one right, of right. the and one of the I was talking to somebody today. I said to me that they have seen a big increase in alcohol because so so I've done research on this. Somebody who's drinking a lot more than they normally. Amy's studying yeah. herself in this. Uh, <laughs> So, so no judgment on anyone, but I read a statistic within the last 48 hours, alcohol sales are up 53%. Oh no, it has to be because a lot of people. And that's social drinkers. So if you, if I went out a couple nights a week, drank, you know, a couple nights a week and went to dinner in this pandemic, I have to be like, you can't drink two more. You, you've drank every night. You have to stop drinking a couple. And I'm not like fall down drunk or abusive. No, I know you have a glass of wine or a drink. Yeah. So, so the alcohol sales, and, and I'll be honest, and this is why, you know, it's, it's a complicated issue, I think, is because it, it's a, the ability to, like, I'm having a glass of white wine, and I can be like, okay, you can, like, <laughs> your day. Well, I, 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 you know, I, I've, I've been sober for six years, and I've had 
a couple instances and not where I really wanted to have a drink, but God, you know, we get bored. It's like, well, fuck it. I'm going to have some wine. <laughs> you know. how, much, how much TV can you, I'm not a big TV watcher. So I have a problem with that. And even here you can, I can lately even concentrate reading. And so it's, it's imagine that, but you know, talking about what the needs are, what we're finding, um, the needs in, in Ashford, and when I say Asher, it's Neptune, Bradley Beach, well, you know, all of our area. Biggest calls that we're getting, I'll tell you, it's food insecurity. But it's not only to get food, it's to get essential. Like toilet paper or paper towel or whatever, soap, whatever it is. And then biggest thing now is the rental assistance. Because even though the governor say that you can use your deposit, we have had cases that we have to call the landlord and send them the law. Right. But they said that you can use your deposit, but they're still harassing the people. So now you got your clothes in, a, in an apartment, somebody harassing you every other day for the rent. You have not enough money to buy food or even buy the essential thing you need. So that's where the violence start coming. Mm. And that's what we're seeing. So that's why we, we had some funding in, in one of our grants that I know we're not going to be able to use it because it was direct service. So what we did is, can we buy with this shop right card? Because with shop right cards, you cannot buy alcohol and you cannot buy cigarettes that we learned. So, so we have been doing that. We have the rental assistant program. Problem is that some of the people don't qualify, but we, we have funding from another grant and we say, can we switch that? For example, Maryland sent us some of their employees and we were able to help all of them, you know. So that type of thing that that I think that's why we we're trying to find other funding so that we can help more. Because believe it or not, once you have your rent pay and you have food. That's the biggest issue that these families have those two. If we can assist with those two. It's a wrong, you know, it's a home run because they're going to be more relaxed at home. So I don't know what else you guys have been seeing, but it's, it's, it's not only the Latino community, it's in all the community. We have been getting calls left and right. I, I think Asbury is also kind of like what's hap happening nationally is it does seem though that um, people of color, it, you know, people in the Latino community are hit harder either in terms of, you know, not, not, not being able to get unemployment benefits or not qualifying for some status for SNAPs or, you know, just the, the ongoing um, obstacles that are being exemplified in, in this pandemic that, that, you know, I hope and I, and, and Pastor Van Zandt talked about this and we've talked about it before that these disparities that exist that have always existed, but that no. has brought out. Yes. If this isn't something that we start to have a, a, at the very least a dialogue, if not create policies, you know, in, in terms of trying to fix it, then this was all for nothing because I don't know how you can, you can deny the racial disparities that exist. Oh, and, and yep. you know what? It's one of the, the biggest problems that we have right now. It's people that have no insurance or they're under insurance. So first of all, they're afraid of going to a doctor, even they just have a cold. But when they think they have had um, that they're sick, we have had two, three cases that we had paid 
for somebody to go to Eatontown to get tested. And we pay for the taxi to get there because they have no transportation. And we pay for the testing. And because one of them, the husband died in Ashbury at home, she knew she had it, but she wanted to be sure. So that's now that VNA Health Center is doing the, the testing, it's at least people can walk there, make an appointment and go. But in general, you know, that's one of the things that we've seen. Also, one thing that is really concerning me is because of this, a lot of the young families are not taking the kids to have the immunization done on time. So that's going to be another pandemic that we're going to have with the measles, the poly, or whatever. So we, we, when we call or we talk to somebody, that's one of the things that I gave like a little blurt to my staff to mention that because you still should go and have the immunization done for your children. If, Amy, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel that um, Pastor Van Zandt said something almost exactly the same about the testing site in Eatontown in terms of the trouble of getting, you know, the weird irony of having to hire a, an Uber or a Lyft yeah, to take someone who's sick to get tested. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the fact that the VNA, the VNA's, can you clarify the VNA is doing testing right here? Yeah, yes. yes, they started last. Actually, I sent it to Amy the, the moment I knew I called yeah. And I kept, she kept me in the loop on, on that open, but I'm going to tell you something even more interesting uh, or, or, you know, just illustrating again, the disparities is that there people in Southwest are not comfortable going to main street VNA. So what the next bill that they, I hope if they didn't pass today, I hope they are passing yes. executive order is to start doing the testing locally at churches. Churches. I saw that. Right. So, so some people will go to Second Baptist and have a test done. Some people will go to Trinity. Some people will go to Father. Go to Catholic Church. Yes. But they're not going to VNA on Main. Even though VNA on Main Street's not, you know, it, you know, a beautiful place. It's run wonderfully. Yeah. VNA. They do amazing stuff. But there, there is a a block that that prevents people from going there. That will very, very quickly and very easily go to their local pastor to their local. Pharmacy, um, and have the test done. I agree. One of the things that we also, you know, that we have been doing for the last three weeks, we go on Thursday, we have been picking up at Fulfill the, they call the emergency food box, and we have been delivering to people that are sick. You know, if you have the virus, instead of going out, we have been delivered to them. Uh, today, Connie brought us some more food to the office, so we're going to put it in bags and deliver those to. So we have been we have been very busy. My building may be closed, but we we have three staff there in a daily basis, and everybody's on the phone. I mean, we we probably are assisting EC hundred to one hundred and twenty people every day. And it's also, great. Beatrice, you know the city did the easy ride, right? So if people, yes, okay, yes. So if people I oh I I once you you send it to me, and I I was already I think we posted and everything. Okay. We have been very heavy in in posting things because believe it or not, people go and look at the Facebook page. So we're doing it in both languages. So which is it's really have helped a lot. Beatrice, uh, you. Can you describe, like, do you have a sense of how hard the Latino community has been hit by COVID in Asbury? Very, very hard. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you why. Most of the people that were working were working in restaurants and hotels or in, uh, you know, uh, in an inn in Ocean Grove and all that. And they're all out of work. And unless you, were, you are 
totally documented here, I have a social security, you are not getting unemployment. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's, that's the biggest problem. Even if you have an IT number and you're paying taxes, mm-hmm. uh, they're not getting unemployment. Well, that was one of the law they passed. Well, yeah, right. The complete the evaporation of an income, um, yeah. certainly. But I was wondering if you had a sense of how widespread, you know, another in terms of people getting sick. Because what we did talk about, Pastor Van Zandt, like, and what I can see from my window, right? I'm lucky enough to work from home. A lot of the Latino men in my neighborhood are, have, are going to work as if nothing else has changed. In other words, they're working in either construction or um, or warehouses, and so they get up and go to work every day as if you know. Um, as if this hasn't, you know, hasn't affected them. And, and, and so my, my thought is that they're much more exposed and, you know, they're working in hospitals, they're working in um, yes. the janitorial services of, of essential businesses. And so my, my thought is like, they must be getting exposed at a higher rate than they are. Uh, and they know. are afraid of, they're afraid of going to a doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have one case and it's a sadly story because she's a domestic violence case and she has three kids. So she didn't want to be tested. She didn't want to be tested. Finally, my manager convinced her that we would pay for the testing to go. But it took her probably like six days for us to convince her to do that. Now we have other family members of other families that they are sick and they're staying home. They say they don't want to know. They, you know, but then in there's I'm sure that there's a lot of people that have the virus in Ashbury that we're never going to know if they had it or they didn't have it. Because we have talked to a lot of families that somebody's sick in the house or, or it, it's somebody else who lives in the house, maybe not in their own room. But, and yes, we, you're correct. We're, they're most exposed than anything and they're going out. Um, even when they go every day to the school to pick up their lunches, you know, you're still, you know, you're exposed. One thing that I have seen that most of them are using masks, which surprised me. And that was a good thing. At least they're doing that. Although I will say I live across from the school. The school lunches seem underutilized. I'm not sure if as many people... Don't know. Yeah. We have been telling everybody. Okay. We have been... We have been... uh, We made a massive... uh, calls and we we learned that you know when you text them it's the best way of communicate with them and we for example my ESL teachers they text everybody so I asked her to be sure that text them that they're providing and I I talked to Sonia they she told me the exact time and we and the schools and everything and we we have been doing that I mean that and and providing the the food it's it's all you know it's the best thing we can do because but I do want to get those those uh, shortbread cards because then they can buy Pampers, they can buy paper towel, toilet paper, soap, every other, you know, other essentials that everybody needs. And some of the families have no income whatsoever now. I think fulfill. So we had early conversations with Kim Guadagn, and Kim's actually coming on next week. Um, okay. For, from Fulfill, I think they've been doing a really amazing job. And is your community, I don't know if you remember, but you called me a little bit about, you called me a couple of weeks ago about getting food. And the interesting part of that conversation was I was describing the Esbury Park dinner table whose food was already cooked and prepared. So it's, it's, in, a, it's in a plastic Tupperware. It's, you know, whatever, a protein, a salad, a whatever. And you go pick it up and you had said to me, you know, my you family, cook. Not, yeah, that is not what my family's want is 
any place I can get my family's, you know, food that they bring home and prepare, which, which was yeah. a, just a learning experience for me. Yes, I like to have the food already done for me. But, me but I'll tell you, <laughs> but I'll tell you something. Um, for Easter, uh, Marilyn Langosta Lounge uh, made us 200 meals for families. And we picked them up on Saturday and we distributed. And everybody was happy because it was like a holiday. So they were all happy. I mean, they say, oh, my God, they, they had the ham and all that. So that was a good thing. But in an everyday they, you know, everybody eats different. The Latino community, the Haitian community, the African-American, we all eat different. And when you go and get prepared food, it's more like a, you know, it's more as a sterile meal. It's not, it's not what they like to eat. You so know, there's, there's a cultural observation there. When I, from, I was, a, I was a, uh, a line cook for many years. And I worked every day with uh, men from Oaxaca, or blah, oh, blah, yeah. from Mexico, right? And they would bring their own, uh, you know, this was a pretty high-end restaurant, and they would bring their own lunch that their mothers had prepared for their mother wives. And and even though we, we could have made food for them, it was, um, they brought these tacos with chicken feet that their, you know, their wife had made. <laughs> um, and they would share, we'd all eat them. It was delicious. Uh, but there was a sort of, um, I always thought that was interesting. It's like bringing lunch to work at a restaurant when <laughs> lunch is built into the day. Like we make it for everybody with staff meal every day, but they're like, no, no, we're going to eat these. So yeah, there's a cultural component to make it yourself. Uh, yeah. And, and honestly, I, w- sure. I would never, I would always want to pick up. Um, I would never ever want to cook. I would always want to pick something up prepared. So that, <laughs> that was a really good learning experience for me. Yeah. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm tired of cooking. So I can oh. tell you, yes, I, I'm also a terrible cook. So. We used to go out two or three times a week. That I miss. That I miss. And we have order. Oh, I mean, we have order food. I uh, this week I'm going to go to Taka because I love their sushi. So I'm going to go and pick up food because. So what? I, what? Yeah. So I miss going out to eat. Is the one thing I miss. Me too. My wife and I used to sit at. There's a restaurant called Jimmy's on Asbury Ave. Oh yeah, I and love it. Sit at the bar at Jimmy's once a week and and eat. But what restaurant do you miss the most? I miss Taka, believe it or not. I love okay. Taka, you know, and, uh, and then we go, we go to a couple. I live uh, in Tintin Falls, so we go to Red Bank a lot. And then, you know, we have gone to Langosta Lounge many times. I, you know, so it's just going out. I like Stella Marina and I like uh, Brandon across from the police station. It's one of my favorite restaurants. Oh, Brando's is great. And they have probably the best happy hour on the, the planet. best, the best. The happy first hour. time I took my husband, because I always have gone with, with friends for happy hour. I took him one Saturday. He said, this is delicious. Why didn't you bring me here before? I said, well, because I come during the week and you're not around. But no, we like that. And, you know, so those are the things that we're missing. And I think our families are missing going to the church. The church are very active in Ashbury. They have a lot of events that are not just on a Sunday. So I think they're missing that. They're missing also the kids going to school because that's, you know, I'm having a hard time even with some of my staff. There's no daycare. There's no school. So they're asking me every time, when are we opening? When are we opening? And, you know, we're taking all the precautions that we need. I just order like those plexiglass for the desk, you know, we're going to be very careful. And, and they're going to have, if you want a service, you're going to have to wear a mask and we provide the mask. But, you know, so there are all the good things that are happening. Uh, one other thing that we're doing in a daily basis, we have one person in my staff that the only thing she does is making phone calls for the census. 
So I was just going to switch. <laughs> very smooth, Beatrice. Very smooth. So get every. So anybody who doesn't know anything about the census, can you get them up to speed and why this is so drastically important? Yes. Well, the first thing I want to say is the census is mandated by the Constitution and it's every 10 years. And everybody should fill the census. The, um, it came March 13, 14, and it was a code number that they were giving you, and you can go on the phone. So we have taught people to do it on the phone and in, in, you know, in their laptop if they have a computer. And then I think in the middle of April, they send the paper form. So if you didn't go it one time, you had, and if you didn't get it, you still can go online and put your address, and you can fill it out. So the percentage right now in Asheville, I'm going to look for it, is the return is 41.3% right now. And what should so, it be, Beatrice? It should be where in 2010, which we were undercounted, it was 50.9. The state average right now is 59.15. The national average is 57.30. So and break well, down for people like so the reason this is so important is I'm going to, yeah okay. the reason why it's important is because a lot of the services that we use right now may be cut for example snap food stamps medicaid for the children who is going to fix our road who's going to fix our bridges so besides all of that we can lose uh one person to go to Washington to talk about New Jersey and save us. So there's a lot of things that are coming. I mean, the hospitals get funding from this. The state gets funding. The schools gets a lot of funding. The WIC program. So there's a, there's a lot of things that when there's less people in the state, you get less funding. That's what happened in Ashbury last time. Most of the kids in Ashbury apparently in 2010 were not counted. The, the total was 50%, which is really low. So the state is very worried about that. The, I'm getting calls from the census every day, believe it or not. And we are doing what we're doing is I it requests a lot of forms from the census. We drop them off at different churches. We drop it off at different um, food pantries. So when people go, they give the forms. We have them in three languages. Now when we're delivering the food, we are putting inside the box the flyers. So that's what we're doing. We, we did a lot of work before. I mean, I went to almost every church and every the schools. We, we did a lot of workshops. But then this came on. So the last thing in their mind is I'm getting a piece of paper that is this big, and I'm going to just go and do it. And for some people, it's very intimidating doing it on the phone. So we have, I have one person, that's all she does. She makes 50 to 75 calls a day, and then she's helping people to do it. You know, she learned how to do it on the phone, and then now you can explain. It's the same thing we're doing with unemployment. You know how many forms we have to offer for people for unemployment, and we certify them every week also. So with the census, we need to be sure that I don't know what else to do, but if you tell me, go on, we were supposed to be going to the laundromats, to all the churches, and now we can't. 
But I have to say that everybody in Ashbury has been very helpful when I want to drop flyers and things like that. But what are we going to do? How can we, how can we make it different? It has to be, we need to get at least to 60, 70%. So. When you're, when you're talking to the community about it, are, what is the, is it just a pandemic is making people not do it? Are they worried about being, because it doesn't matter if you're documented or undocumented. It doesn't matter. And that's one thing we tell them is totally confidential. So that's one thing when I did, I did it with, with the schools. I mean, we, I did it with uh, Hope Academy. I went to Acelero. I mean, I did a lot, a lot of before. I mean, I've never been so busy. I went every Sunday, I went to a different church and went to a different organization. So, but then, you know, now it now it happened. This happened the same week that you were receiving the census. The census came the week of the 13, 14, 15, that week. And that's when everybody started, you know. So now you can communicate with them. I mean, you know, unless you call. One of the things that other areas are doing, and I was going to talk to you about it, is try to get database, database from churches or from the school and making the calls. And, and I'm willing to make the calls, my office. But if we, you need more of a, have a database, if a church will give us the database of a telephone number and a name, we can call. We'll call everybody. I'm, I'm committed. I told that to you and that I was committed, but this happened. I would have been out there, I mean, talking to people every, every single day. So I don't know how we can make it better. And the census people aren't extending this in any way? They are extending it. And now they're starting, I believe they're starting to go out in the community. I think it was June 1st, but now with they switch it to June 6th or 7th or whatever. But that, that's, they were supposed to start going out May 1st. That was move. And I believe that the whole ending is moved for three months, but apparently has to be in the hands of the president in March of 2021. So they'll, they're going to, uh, so they are going to go out and knock on doors. Yes. Is that what you're, okay. Yes. Yeah. I was going to ask because, you know, I, um, I was fooling around with ancestry.com recently. So I'm finding <laughs> all of these census records that are recording my family going back even into, you know, Ireland and, and they used to go into people's houses and physically count everyone who was there, you exactly. know, even house guests. So apparently my, my grandmother in 19, in her little uh, hut in Ireland in 1910, they counted her grandmother, her, all, her, all of her cousins, and an 89-year-old woman who was just living there. I don't know who she was. <laughs> like she wasn't part of the, the family lore, but I guess they had a lodger. You know? And so I thought that was very interesting. And then here when they moved to the U.S., the same thing going in. And they would even remark about, you know, one of my great grandmothers had um, like emphysema and there's like, Oh, emphysema. And I didn't know they would even bother with that. So I thought it was a very interesting oh. document to look back into. And um, so I, 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 so I completed the online census, uh, you know, I got the card, but I was wondering, do they actually go and knock on doors? And the, and the answer is yes, but not yet. Okay. Yeah, not yet. They, that's, they were supposed to start when we met with them in all the meetings, they were supposed to start May 1st. That's when they were going out. Um, and, you know, one of the things that they're going to have to do it because now the people, I mean, putting food in your table and paying your rent is more important than fill out a form. So now we have to be realistic at that, you know, that we, we need to be sure that this is how we do it. But I, you know, tomorrow we have a meeting, so hopefully 
something is going to good is going to happen about that because we really need to be counted. And one of the really prior to the pandemic, one of the really good things about the census was they were hiring so many people um, from the community at a, at a decent rate, you know, I think it was, was it $20 an hour? $20. And some of them, they spoke another language, 21 or 22. Yeah. And so the, the idea being with the census is reducing, like if somebody I know came to my door and was like, Amy, how many people in your household do you have to fill out the census stuff? I would be more receptive to do it than if some Joe Schmo from North Jersey came. I agree. Was like, exactly. Amy, how many people in your house? And, and that's what they were trying. They were trying to hire the people that look like the community. Right. They speak the language of the community. They were looking, you know, for like, for speaking Spanish, Haitian, I mean, and, and it's sad because we, we, we did a presentation and now I just saw one of my ESL classes to mention again in all the ESL classes, the computer classes, because people now I think they're also more afraid. One thing that when I did the presentation, I always tell everybody, they, they cannot open the documents for 75 years. So you cannot see who filled the form from 75 years from today. So that's very interesting. You were look at somebody when in the, from 19-something, and that's what happened. 75 years there, those documents are closed. But you have to reiterate to people that it's confidential, that nobody's going to go and knock in your door after you do that. You know, that's the biggest problem. We have had some people on the phone that tell my staff, I'm not going to do it. I'm afraid, you know, and then we have to explain then and I have called some of them back to explain to them, you know, that it's it's okay, you know. So it's, it's an interesting time because couldn't I, I said to somebody they should have moved it away, you know, <laughs> do it later, but they can't because it's it's in the constitution. All right. Uh Beatrice, I want to ask you a couple of quick questions, but one, one long question and then a couple of quick ones before we end it. One, okay. you've been in, in Asbury Park since 2010? I, myself, yes, but the office has been there since 84. Okay, and so talk to us a little bit about what you've seen from 2010 to now, the good, the bad, the ugly. Actually, I'll tell you something. Things are having proof a lot. From the moment I, I that since I started, at the beginning, um, it was more difficult to get to get assistance from from even other organizations in Ashbury. Now everybody's in tune more than ever who is in the community and what the needs are. I mean, not only not only us, but you know, you take Boys and Girls Club, you take Habitat, you take other organizations that now. Now they know they have to have somebody bilingual. I wish I could have somebody trilingual. We have had several times somebody who speaks Haitian Creole. I don't have one now. But that, I have, that, I think, has been an improvement. I think that the diversity of the community has been more acceptable now than it was when I started. Hmm. And now, it, it's, now you see families that have been there 10, 15 years that this is their home. They're not going anywhere. And even the school, I think the school have embraced that. And I'm very happy when I go to some functions and you have the families there that they feel comfortable being there. At, at, 10 years ago, they didn't. Do you have a sense of where the majority of um, 
the Latino community comes from in terms of the immigrant community. For example, when I worked in New Brunswick, everyone was from Oaxaca or Puebla. Well, I'm so here. I'm so right. here. Right. And which had a distinctive, very interesting cultural, um, um, cultural expressions. Like, so I thought, you know, in New Brunswick, we, you know, um, and I want to circle back to something. You had mentioned something about when, um, you had 15 graduates from a small business certification program. 17. 17. And I think, you know, the, the Latino community has a very strong entrepreneurial bent, you know, that is underappreciated in this country. They're just sort of, a, you know, the, the, you know, the negative, the people who are negative on immigration have this really terrible slander of the Latino community. When in fact, it seems to me that in addition to the labor, which they keep the lights on in this country, <laughs> they also bring a, a bit of an entrepreneurial verve and revitalize areas of towns that, ha- that are largely ignored by the other business community. So in New Brunswick, I think about French street, French street, in New Brunswick in the eighties had zero tax revenue. There was nothing there. And is now, well, Hey, can you number five, <laughs> can you number one, small dress shop, quinceanera shops, record stores, travel agencies, and I think about downtown uh, Main Street Asbury. When I first got here, you had um, you know Tapatia, the store, the you know the, um, the grocery store, the restaurant, you know, and um, a lot a lot of small um, Latino centric businesses that you know, create community and and revenue. So I just thought it was um, very interesting that you 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 had graduates of a small business certificate program, right? Yeah, that's, seventeen you know, very, of them. And they were all Latinos, by the way. Right. Very pragmatic minded, like, like all immigrant, immigrant communities, they come and build small businesses and they, you know, eventually their kids will run CEOs, but. And, and that's exactly what they want to do. They want to open their business and it's their way of, one of them was very, told me that it was a way of getting back to the community because when he would have a business, he would help his own family and also would hire people from their you know, well, they call it from Oaxaca. But, you know, I think that in actually the majority of the immigrants are, are from Mexico, different than other places. We have seen an influence of people from El Salvador and from Nicaragua also in the office. You know, and want- we have had people that have come, they come to my office today and they have only been in this country three days. Mm. So, you know. The, the, uh, the other thing I like in terms of cultural expressions, it, it didn't happen this Easter because of the pandemic, but I remember, uh, um, and I didn't know this was happening. I went for a jog last year around Easter time and I'm coming back home. So Amy and I live down on like third behind Our Lady Mount Carmel. Right? Oh, okay. Uh, in New Street. So, um, and I'm running down third and I run straight into a passion play during uh, Holy Week, right? And so yes. if you're... Um, you know, so someone, you know, carrying the cross, people dressed as Roman soldiers, and they're going from house to house doing stations of the cross, very Catholic, you know, for those of us, you know, old school Catholics, you know, sort of, um, you know, very Latino, very public. And I just thought that was the, the most interesting thing. I stopped heathen that I am and, you know, and followed along for a while. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, the community is vibrant and interesting and bringing a lot of interesting things to, to, uh, to the um um, to the region, but we all know that, right? So I, I think we're yeah, among. And, and I and I think that's it's like the first time I they told me in December they have the same that they celebrate. I mean, I come from Puerto Rico, so we uh, we don't have those things, you know. And I was surprised. And and in Christmas they they, they do something called las posadas, which we don't do either. So every that's one thing. Every every Latino every country that speaks Spanish don't have the same culture. 
And that's one thing that we sometimes forget that we're very different. People from the Caribbean are different than somebody from Argentina or from Mexico. And we you know, should I, embrace everybody. I used to be pretty fluent in Spanish, but I can understand Mexican <laughs> Spanish. I, and for the life of me, I can't understand um, Boricuas, right? Like it's too fast, <laughs> right? The, the dialect is different. So, well, you know, so it is interesting. You're right. Like the, the, the Latino community is not the same. The language sounds different. There's different idioms. Different, well, yes, uh, they're different words. I mean, but if you speak Spanish, you can understand anybody from anywhere. Yes. There are words that they may use, like, like for example, um, we call, we call like a, like a stroller. Some people call it, we call it coche or, mm. and the Mexican com community call it charola. So yeah. I didn't even know what that was the first time. So there's words that you learn and, and, and you know, and the culture is a little different and you, that is even from us here. Mm -hmm. I mean, how you celebrate your holidays and, and you know, what, are, what is big for them? Like November 1st is very big for the Mexican right. community. And I was surprised about that. And then they say they have the death day, Dia del Muerto. So yeah. I was like, what is that? So, and I went to Catholic school all my life, but I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it's, but no, I think Ashbury is in a better place, Amy, than it was 10 years ago. Okay. In general. I know that we always complain the West side against the East side, but I'll tell you, I have gone to a lot of meetings that people also need to be more, um, learn about the other culture, you know, so that you're not afraid of them. Because I think, the frustration sometimes is you don't know. Don't know, you're afraid of it. And if everybody will work together, I think we'll be a better place. I'm with you. All right, our rapid fire questions, Beatrice, before we end this, favorite movie? My favorite movie? I just saw it again the other day. Foster, what is it? Um, oh my God, <laughs> the guy. Did you say Forrest Gump? Is that what they Forrest Gump, yes. I just saw it the other <laughs> night. They were showing it the other night, and I watch it again, and I say, I don't remember that he had a kid at the end. It's one of my favorite. Uh, favorite, favorite TV series? Hmm. Oh, my God, I'm going to – new or old? <laughs> Either. Whatever's your favorite. The, I like the FBI. <laughs> Believe oh. it or not. Well, that's old. No, right. that's one new. It's brand oh, the new, new one. Now. The new one. The it's new, a new one. one. Okay, yeah, 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 I yeah. really like it. Okay. And favorite book, Beatrice. Favorite book. Hmm. I have a lot of favorite books. You have to be in English. <laughs> no. I actually no. is in, it's also in English and it's in Spanish. It's called The Butterflies. Okay. And it's a story. It's a story of three ladies in the Dominican Republic. Oh, huh. my favorite. Okay. I'm going to write that one down. I will. Um, all right. I'm going to end this because my kids what? come back through the door. Last, Amy, last, uh, last question from Joe. And Beatrice, thank you so much. And thank you, Mingo. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Last question, Beatrice. How do, we, how do people contact the Community Resource Center? Okay. They can call our telephone number. It's 732-774-3282. And for those and of you who missed it. And 913 Seoul Avenue in Nashville Park. If you guys are listening on your podcast app you can, and you missed that, you can hit the rewind 30 second button to hear that again. Okay. 
Thank you, Beatrice. Thank you, Beatrice. Thank you. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you, both of you. This was a great experience, by the way. Oh, nice. well, great. Thanks so much. Um, and I'll see you tomorrow morning. Um, yes, you will see me tomorrow morning. <laughs>